Hello again and welcome everybody back to another edition of the Everything College Basketball Podcast, episode 98. Coming to you live and in living color, directly on Twitter Spaces if you're listening to us right now as we go. I'm of course your host Josh Burton. Joining me again today are my tag team partners in this journey to the tourney together, Mr. Phil Dexter. What is going on guys? And, of course, he's down in Florida right now. He's live on location, Mr. Corey Gardner. What's going on, guys? Enjoying the beautiful game of baseball down here in Fort Myers, Florida. Glad to be a part of it. Absolutely. We experienced some technical difficulties. I think we got it figured out. Like I said, this is our first go-around on Twitter spaces, so forgive us for some of the the problems. We will work these kinks out. But, guys, episode 98. Um, I'll tell you this much. I've got Purdue and Ohio State live on the TV right now. Uh, as we speak, Trayvon Williams just hit a little turnout floater. Ohio State up 6-4 early in the game. But after this week, for some reason, especially what we're going to talk about from the action from Saturday night, I am so ready for March. <laughs> I mean, I've got that. I woke up today with that tournament feel in my bones running through my blood I feel ready for March. What is your guys' feelings? We're only a handful of weeks away, by the by the way. Yeah, like you said, yesterday sort of got me in that mode between uh, just some of the big games in the Big 12 SEC Challenge. You know, we had UK versus KU, which was a tournament atmosphere. Um, Alabama against Baylor is, again, another, you know, possible Sweet 16, Elite 8 type matchup. So, yeah, I'm hyped. I'm ready, just like you are, man. Yeah, I don't know, man. It just... Starting to feel that way. We're about to turn into the month of February, one one month away, and the the action and the competition's really ramping up. We're starting to get in the thick of conference play. Um, lots to talk about on episode ninety eight today. Again, live on Twitter Spaces, and of course, fellas, you know the deal. We couldn't do this without our wonderful title sponsor, Manscape, the best and below the belt men's grooming in the entire world. Go check out their new lawnmower four to get your boys nice and close to the skin trim without cutting you. The best products, the conditioner, the shampoo, they bring it if you get the travel bag with it. Um, of course, you guys already know I love the ball toner and the ball deodorant. My go-to for, especially if I know I'm about to go work out or be out for the day, you get to sweating down there, and you men know how it is. You get to sweating down there and perspirating, and the ball toner and ball uh, deodorant from Manscaped helps keep you feeling nice and fresh and cool the rest of the day. So, again, we couldn't do this without our title sponsor, Manscaped. Go to manscaped.com right now. Use promo code ECB to get a flat 20% off of your entire purchase and free worldwide shipping. Again, you go to manscaped.com. Use promo code ECB and check out for 20% off free worldwide shipping. Fellas. Let's go ahead and start with, I guess it would be the big news of the week. We alluded to it last week when Peyton sent in his his three-parter deal. We talked about it, but it made it official this past week. The Louisville Cardinals and Chris Mack have officially separated. Um, he originally had that $12 million buyout. I think they settled on like 4.8. I know, Phil, you've got the exact number. I think it was 4.8, wasn't it? Yeah, that was it. So $4.8 million buyout. He's officially gone. We kind of alluded to it, like I said, last week on episode 97. The time was coming, um, and they went ahead and did it. Now, initial reactions to Louisville actually making the move midseason. Making it midseason surprises me a little bit, just because I don't feel like it gives them that big of a jump on 
getting a hire because obviously nobody's going to take the job in the middle of the year. But I had an interesting thought the other night, and I was going to post it in a group. I decided to save it for this. I don't think they were actually as interested in Bruce Pearl as we all think they were. I don't think they let it get that public that quickly if they actually were interested. They they were giving Auburn all the time in the world to get an extension done. Again, obviously, he's not going to take the job in the middle of the season. I think they might have just sort of floated that so early to appease the fan base, say, hey, look, we went after the big name, and just get that out of the way. You might be right on that. Um, you might be right, actually. I, I do think there's a part of it that they did want Pearl for obvious reasons. I, I do think that. Um, I talked to Peyton about it after, and we're going to get to that other part of the equation, the Bruce Pearl deal. Talked to Peyton about it. I wonder how much the Louisville administration actually wanted Brucey. And the reason I mention that is because as soon as the Mac deal became public that they were going to let him go and they're going to agree to the buyout, Bruce Pearl's name from the fan base and from boosters and everybody became the hot topic. But I wonder deep down if the Louisville administration really wanted him as their first option. It makes you wonder how much the, the pressure and the public perception to try to appease the fan base was to go get Bruce. Because I think deep down they really wanted a guy like Kenny Payne or somebody that's going to come in with a little cleaner track record. Now, Bruce, we know, obviously, he's a tremendous coach. Despite everything else with, you know, sanctions or whatnot and being in trouble here and there, he's a tremendous basketball coach. He can turn programs around and make them relevant in a hurry, and he's a tremendous recruiter. So they would have got an A-plus hire for that. But I really wonder deep down if the administration at Louisville had Brucey as their first option. Yeah, no, I agree. And I, I don't think they did. Like you said, it would, it would have been a great hire. I mean, you're not going to hire Bruce Pearl and not feel good about it from a, a pure basketball standpoint. But, again, I just thought how quickly it got public that he was going to be their number one target made it interesting to me. I would have thought they would have tried to keep it quieter if they were 100% all in on that hire. Yeah, and knowing that nobody's going to... We had a lot of comments. You guys seen it in the Facebook group. By the way, for new people listening, the Facebook group's where it's at. Go to facebook.com slash group slash everything college basketball. Closing in on 900 members. Uh, the best place for nonstop college basketball talk. Not only during the season, but off season. The best place. But we had the discussion. I know people were talking about it. And why, you know, he, he's got this number one team. Why would he leave? Well, he wasn't ever going to leave. Like, he could have silently agreed to the job, but he would have never left. So I think some people had that misconception that he was just going to up and, you know, he was going to be done. He was going to pull Brian Kelly at the end of the year and leave and not finish the season out. No, he would have been stupid for multiple parts on that. I think that would have been a void of contract price and legal issues as well. But... I think just getting his name out there put a lot of pressure on it. Corey, I'm going to talk to you real quick about this. I want to get your thoughts on the on the whole Pearl-Louisville situation. I told Peyton, Peyton and I did a video real quick after Matt got fired, and urging Louisville fans, Card Nation, to be patient. I know it's an exciting time because now you have something to look forward to after this dreadful season and being, you know, not having a lot of fun watching your team on the floor. Now you finally got some optimism back, as we're going to talk about in yesterday's game against Louisville Duke. Um, but I think there's a segment of the fan base because of that excitement and nervous energy or wanting to push right now. You got to get somebody. You got to get somebody. And I'm urging Louisville or Card Nation to be patient 
because if you rush to make a decision now, you're going to get it wrong. Let the season play out at this point. After the season, then go get your guy. Don't rush it now. No, I 100% agree with you. The biggest thing is, is you know, let the uh, the search committee kind of get formed, kind of get out the, uh, you know, I mean, I can tell you the school's definitely on list and be kind of what the fans want. But at the same time, they're going to go out and try and find the best candidate possible to sit there and be effective and kind of get back to what the basketball program should be like. Uh, you know, making a midseason move was definitely one thing that kind of dictated that, you know, the, uh, you know, their center kind of making the statement that, no comment. All those things are kind of having a big effect. And, uh, you know, things are getting out of control quickly. And, you know, Louisville made a statement to say, hey, we're not going to be, you know, accepting this. We're going to make sure that, uh, you know, player retention and all that stuff is kind of, you know, a main focus for them. So, uh, you know, the biggest thing is, I mean, Indiana fans know exactly how this is. I mean, everybody wants to see a big time hire. Everybody wants to sit there and see, you know, something happen quickly. But at the same time, um, you know, the assistant coach stepping in. Um, what was it? Pas- Pasky? I'm sorry, I don't know if I'm Co- pronouncing Peegs. it exactly. Coach Mike Peegs. Yeah, Peegs. So, you know, the biggest thing is just, you know, he uh, he kind of regrouped the troops and came out and played well yesterday. Uh, a lot of times, a little bit of shake-up. You guys have faith in an assistant. Uh, it's never a bad thing to kind of get them, uh, you know, in turn through the end of the year to sit there and make sure that, you know, the coaching carousel uh, kind of opens up to get that, you know, big time hire that they're looking for. So the biggest thing is just keep faith, you know, kind of kind of let the uh, the school go through the notions. And, uh, you know, I think they definitely also sit there and get a hire that, you know, is something that they're kind of looking for. Yeah, and also, like Peyton and I talked about, what if Coach Peegs, um, what if the last part of the season he just gets Louisville red hot? Because the players love playing for him. You hear him talk about it. You've seen a difference yesterday when they played Duke. And what if he got red hot and they decided, well, maybe we should just give him a shot. I don't think it's the right move, but you've got to let stuff play out. Now, let's talk real quick about we – I know we kind of alluded to it last week, but now that it's officially official, let's talk about some realistic shortlist candidates that would be great hires to get Louisville back on track. I think you have to start with Kenny Payne. He's a Louisville graduate. He knows the area. He obviously knows the state having success at Kentucky, being an assistant coach and one of the top recruiters in the entire nation. He's in the NBA right now. Tom Thibodeau, the head coach of the New York Knicks, vouched for him, said he'd be a tremendous head coach down there. He'd fit their profile. And I mentioned it. I think because there's talks about the former Kentucky uh, SID, who's now at um, DePaul, I think he's their athletic director there, Dwayne Peavy, one of the best in the game right now, potentially because he's got a great relationship with um, with Kenny Payne, bringing a tandem to Louisville because they need a new AD, they need a new president, they need a new head men's basketball coach. If you could get Kenny Payne and you could bring in Dwayne Peavy as a combo, that instantly puts Louisville back on the map because you know Pete, are you know um, you know Kenny Payne's going to recruit his ass off as long as he's stockpiled. Um, a bunch of good assistants with head coaching experience in college, I think Louisville would be right back on the map because he's going to recruit at a high level there. No, I agree completely with you right there. That's one thing is it's just having support staff. I think right now uh, Louisville's in a good situation as an assistant coach a lot of times, but uh, the coaches kind of tend to be that buffer uh, between the head guy and the players and also just kind of more there to be a player's coach. So I think the guys absolutely love playing uh, – and will sit there and be supportive. At the same time, I think Kenny Powers, just because he, 
or, uh, does come with the, uh, you know, M- NBA experience kind of comes with everything that you kind of, you know, led to there. Uh, it's something that's enticing for kids of today. Every kid, you know, has a big ambition dream of making it to the league and stuff like that. I mean, the same thing that Indiana did, uh, you know, with Mike Woodson. So it's a kind of uh, great opportunity for him to then kind of bring somebody in. Um, you know, that's had the uh, the different level experience, but also has the experience of knowing the state of Kentucky um, and the surrounding areas. I mean, with Indiana, with Tennessee, uh, you know, down into the Carolinas, some of the hotbeds of uh, basketball talent for recruiting and stuff. Something that's a huge opportunity for them to sit there and bring somebody in that's had experience at multiple levels, winning at multiple levels, and already having Tom Thibodeau sit there and speak out and in full support of sitting there kind of pushing his name into the job search is something that's huge. I think there was a Freudian slip, too, because you called him Kenny Powers. I think you guys are on location for baseball. You called him Kenny Powers instead of Kenny Payne. By the way, let the listeners real quick know where you're at. Yes, I'm down here at uh, Florida Southwestern University, or uh, Florida Southwestern College watching uh, some of the top Juco's in the country. So uh, right now, Gulf Coast State and uh, South Central Florida are playing. I'm going to watch Florida Southwestern versus Miami Day, two uh, top ten teams in the country. Uh, I got to watch uh, eight out of the top 20 last night, uh, Friday. So uh, I've got to kind of watch some of the top uh, junior college kids in the country. Uh, sit here with about 150 uh, MLB scouts and college coaches. So it's been a pretty awesome opportunity. Yeah. Um, we So if you guys hear a bunch of chatter in the background, that's because he's on location like we mentioned. Phil, I want to hear you, though. Kenny Payne's an option. Who's some other logistic, or le- legitimate – um, logical choices that you think would be home runs for Louisville? A name I've started to hear creeping up a little bit, and somebody I really like, Steve Forbes out of Wake Forest. Uh, he does have the Bruce Pearl connection. He is Bruce Pearl's top assistant at Tennessee. Um, but he has connections to that area. Again, he was an assistant at Tennessee. He's coached Juco in that area. He was the coach at Eastern Tennessee State. Um, so I think he would do pretty well there, and he's a hell of a recruiter. He probably wouldn't get the fan base super fired up, but I think that would be a great way to go. Look um, at what he did. Look at what he's done at Wake Forest. That's a program that's been dormant for ten years now, essentially. And now they're going to make the tournament this year. Finish probably in the top part of the ACC. That's not easy to do considering where they were. Um, I like and Forbes is a tremendous like offensive basketball mind. Yeah, well, and I think a lot of people don't realize how tough of a job Wake Forest actually is because they've had success there. But Wake Forest is the smallest Power 5 university. I forget what their enrollment is, but it's like south of 20,000. Uh, it's it's a very small school for, you know, being in the ACC, that type of thing. So I think he would be great. Another name I've started to hear a little bit, and I would hate to lose him, is Brad Underwood. Um you know, a lot of people like the fact that he's turned around multiple programs now. This would be, you know, going to Louisville would be his fourth program turnaround. Um, it was impressive how he adjusted his style of play when he got to the Big Ten. You know, he tried to bring in that high-tempo press-type offense and defense to the Big Ten the first couple of years, realized it wasn't going to work, and has adjusted his style. So I think that would be another good fit for them as well. Yeah, um, I don't know why Underwood right now. I, I get it. Louisville is a top seven job. We talked about it. I think he should stay put at Illinois for now because um, I do think he's got that starting to roll a little bit. 
I'll give you a couple names. The other big home run, Bruce Pearl's off the board. The other one stay in the SEC, Nate Oates. Everybody's covering Nate Oates. What he did at Buffalo, what he's doing in Alabama, the recruiting, the style in which they play is an attractive style of basketball. Even in the, when they lose, it's still fun the way they spread out, shoot a bunch of threes up and down. Nate Oates would be an A-plus hire for a place like Louisville. i give you another name that never crossed my mind, but makes sense because I started seeing it pop up, is uh, Chris Holtman from Ohio State. He's a Kentucky native. He knows the state well. He had tremendous success at Butler. He's doing big things at Ohio State. I don't know if he'd want to leave Ohio State because that's a really good job too. But if you wanted to come back home to the state, I think he'd be a great hire for Louisville. I just wonder if that hire would be a little too similar to the Chris Mack hire. Because I think Chris Mack is a good basketball coach, and I think Chris Holtman's a good basketball coach. But I think that part of the problem and part of what they need to find with who they hire for that job is has to be the right personality fit. You know, Chris Mack is the kind of guy who wants to coach basketball, go home, hang out with his family. I don't think he was quite ready for the pressure cooker that is Louisville basketball. And, you know, Ohio State's a big program, but again, it's not Louisville. And I don't know that Holtman has the, you know, the outgoing personality that they would need for that. Yeah, there definitely needs to be. It's like Kentucky. Um, You've got to have this charming, you know, you can call it a used cars salesman um, attitude, whatever you will. But you've got to have that where you win over the fan base. Even when you're losing, you got to keep them engaged. Um, you got to be shaking hands and kissing babies. That's right. It's almost like a politician in the state of Kentucky. It really for the, is. I'll give you one last name that popped up that I think would be a good hire as well because I don't know the shelf life of where he's at, and that's Andy Enfield at USC. He brought Florida Gulf Coast to the to the big dance. He put them on the map. Nobody had heard of them after they make that run in the tournament. I think they said um, – um, enrollment jumped by like 200% because people wanted to go down there to Florida Gulf Coast and watch Lob City and all that stuff. Um, and then he's, you see what he's doing at USC, you know, he's bringing in recruits. I understand USC, the pressure is not there because you can miss a tournament here and there, but then bounce back and, you know, you just can't be terrible. So he could be comfortable in USC. I know his wife is a former model, probably loves the LA lifestyle. But if he wanted to take a big step up and make that, because Louisville and basketball is a way bigger and better job than USC is. You're always going to be a football school there no matter what. If he wanted to take the next step, I think Andy Enfield is one of those personalities we talked about. He kind of fits that mold of a Calipari, of a Rick Pitino as far as his personality goes. He's got the NBA background, the the um, spending time being an assistant in the NBA for all those years before coming to be a college coach. I actually think Andy, Andy Enfield, it may not be an A-plus hire, but I think in the long run it would be a great hire because he's going to recruit. He's going to play a fun style of basketball. And I think at the end of the day, that's all Louisville wants. They want to bring in high-profile recruits. They want to be excited about their team. Even if they lose a couple games, you still want to be excited. I know Peyton says it, and I've heard other Louisville fans. If they're going to lose, they'd rather be able to team that at least they're scoring 75, 80, 85 points and being exciting doing it. Well, I think you hit the nail on the head with Benfield. I think ultimately he would be a home run hire. I don't think the reaction would be super strong from the Louisville fan base right away. But, I mean, the guy is one of the best recruiters in the country. With the state, you uh, <clears throat> excuse me, with the state USC was in when he got there, the way he's been recruiting there and has turned that around is amazing. Um, 
you you hit it right on the head again. You know, he he does have that outgoing personality. I don't want to say politician, but that kind of is what it is. Um, you know, he obviously feels comfortable at the big stage because USC isn't the biggest show in town basketball-wise, but it's still Hollywood. It's still L.A. There's a lot of media he's dealing with. I think that would be a awesome hire in the long term. But again, I'm not sure how excited the fan base would be about it immediately. Yeah, I think that's perfect. I think Andy Enfield, he may not be your first or second option, but if you got to him and could get him, I do think that would be a good one because he's going to bring in recruits. It's going to be exciting. But let's move away from Louisville. We talked about they lost out on Bruce Pearl. I know you think, probably most people think that Brucey ended up playing perfectly. I mean, he did a masterful job. If he played Louisville to get more money, he is a tremendous negotiator because he kept hum-hum, ho-ho about it. He never officially denied it, and he caused Auburn to pull out their checkbook and lock him down for essentially a lifetime con. I think it ended up being an eight-year, like what, I forget the numbers. I don't have it in front of me right now. Eight years, something another. But basically, he got himself paid off of this. Yeah, I don't know the total uh, number on the money because the way it's going to work is kind of strange. Um, I think he gets like a, a $250,000 raise every single season. Um, I know it puts him among the top four uh, college coaches as far as pay goes. And yeah, like you said, I mean, he basically gave coaches a master class in how you handle this in the media if you're trying to get an extension. Uh, I'm sure his agent is the one who set up that interview with uh, – Keyshawn J. Will and Max the other morning and was like, just make sure you do not deny anything. Oh, yeah. Eight, <laughs> so here it is. Eight years, $5.4 million annually with $250,000 annual accelerator. What a, I mean, that's that's a beautiful job from Brucey. That is an amazing work of what can be considered the ultimate recruiter, ultimate politician work right there earning money. That is freaking great. And it goes, give credit to Auburn's administration because it shows they are dedicated to having a top-flight basketball program now. They have put themselves in position for years to come to be at the top of the SEC like this with Kentucky annually, Tennessee, Alabama now, Arkansas. Um, They've made the commitment, and that's what it takes. And that's a reason why the SEC over the last six, seven years – their profile in basketball has raised. That's why we're going to get to it. They're the best conference in basketball for moves like this because these traditional football powers have finally made a commitment to put basketball at the forefront. Well, yeah, a huge part of it has been the money coming in from the SEC network. And, you know, football produces most of that, but these teams and programs are finally investing some of it in basketball. I mean, we talked about it a few weeks ago. If you look at the head coaches in the SEC – from top to bottom, it's it's like a who's who of either you know great coaches elsewhere, great assistant coaches, former NBA players. Um, it's it's really amazing. Yeah. Um, so Brucey locked down in Auburn. Um, that just tells me Auburn is ready to roll for the next decade or so. Told you I was watching Purdue, Ohio State as we speak live. Purdue is up a couple points with about five minutes to go in the half. They're up twenty two nineteen. I got to say, these jerseys they're wearing are awful. Like, normally Purdue has nice, clean jerseys, but they've got their all blacks, but the where gold's at, it's like almost a neon color. I do not like them at all. The biggest thing you just said is Purdue. <laughs> that's where you lost me. Sorry. Oh, man. They almost remind me of kind of what Michigan State tries to do with their weird neon ones, but I guess that's neither here nor there. 
So yeah, we got the Mac firing Pearl sign the extension. Guys, before we start getting into reviewing the games, a couple other pieces of news I want to go over. I guess not really news, but I want to talk about it. We talked about starting to get that tournament in March excitement, even though we're a month or so away. I kind of want to ask you, we're not going off bracketology this week. We'll bring that back next week where we'll break down the most recent bracketology. But I just want to talk to you guys about seeding, teams, what we're thinking. As we sit here right now, your guys' personal, who would be your personal based off the eye test, based off stats, analytics, and record, and everything else? Who would be your personal top four seeds? Uh, my number one overall seed would be Auburn. Then I would have uh, Gonzaga. You may not put them there right now with the few tough losses they've had, but I think they'll be there by the end of the year, and I still like them, so I'd go with Baylor. And then Purdue would be my fourth. I'm there with you. I'll let Corey speak on it in a minute. I'm with you, um, at least on three of them. I'm with you on Gonzaga. I'm with you on Auburn being the overall number one. Gonzaga, Purdue still, despite the three losses, especially if they beat Ohio State here. I think that solidifies it. And that fourth one I can't figure out because Baylor, Baylor's still really good, but we saw yesterday with Alabama we're going to get to it. In the last four weeks, they're starting to reel. After being number one unbeaten, they've lost, what, three of them now and probably could have lost five in that stretch of time. I think they're starting to reel a little bit. I know Akinjo's been hurt. I know they're trying to get back fully healthy and back to where they were. But I don't know who my fourth overall number one seed would be right now. I'd have, Maybe UCLA's back in the conversation. I'll say UCLA right now. I think they're back in the conversation after that win against Arizona earlier in last week. But those three for sure – Auburn, the overall number one, Gonzaga, Purdue, and that fourth one, I guess right now, UCLA, but it's so fluctuating. I don't know. That fourth one's a hard one right now. Real quick before Corey gets in here, any chance you think uh, Houston sneaks in and gets that last spot? You know, know what? We've, ta- we've talked about all the injuries they've dealt with, but gosh, they just keep rolling. I know. It's amazing, man. I don't know. Um, in all fairness, they haven't really played anybody, though, in the AAC. Uh, Memphis, they haven't played them yet. They're not what we thought. Cincinnati. I know Tulane's starting to play well. Ron Hunter's got them playing really well right now. I mean, you got to give them credit because they are still winning. Um, I just don't know, though. I think those injuries, if you look project tournament-wise, are going to kill them. So, kind of going off mine, kind of building off you guys, I think Auburn's clear-cut, number one, most definitely. Uh, Number two would be Gonzaga. Still agreeing with you there. I think the Baylor sister and kind of gets healthy, or gets rolling, sorry, and kind of gets things going uh, towards the end of the year. I got one completely out of left field just because it's uh, a guy that sits there and knows how to win when it comes late in the season. He's going to sit there and surprise some people, and I think Michigan State uh, is going to sit there and kind of surprise. They're already you know hovering around that top ten, and I think they're going to sit there and get hot towards the end of the year, and they're going to make a little bit of run in the Big Ten tournament. I think they surprise everybody and kind of slide up there into the, into the uh, you know, number one seed. Yeah, I think I think Izzo, had they not lost last week to Illinois that we're going to talk about here just shortly, I think that they definitely would have been that one seed by now. Um, they probably would have been my fourth one seed. I just – they are still dangerous. Max Christie is starting to play well, kind of what we expected coming as a five-star freshman. You know, I think that they're going to be there in a few weeks when we get down to Selection Sunday. But right now, I'd have them on the outside looking in. They would probably be my second or third two seed. 
Let's go and talk about the game of the week this past week, and it leads me in. This is a nice little segue. Coach Cal on Tuesday gets his 800th win against Mississippi State at home. It was a struggle fest. No Ty Ty Washington. Uh, Mississippi State coming in, trying to build on their resume. We all think they're a tournament team. They've got a lot of talent. And Kentucky goes up 16 and kind of puts them on cruise control. Iverson Molinard goes nuts and puts an overtime. Kentucky wins, gets Cal's 800th win overall. Then we go to yesterday, the game of the week, the game of the day for our weekly pickems in the Facebook group. The two winningest programs of all time, Kentucky at Kansas. Before we get into that result, and ultimately it was a shock to me, me being even I'm a Kentucky fan, I did not expect that. What I was going to say is I don't think that they're obviously up to a one seed. That would be crazy. But do you think Kentucky's jumped up now when the newest bracketologies come out this week? Do you think they can be that last two seed right now? Because I do. Oh, for sure. I mean, I think basically every metric now has them top five. So you they, could probably make the argument for them um, being number one. They, they, they're definitely a two seed, and they have enough you know, left on the table in the SEC that I think by the end of the year, if they play this well down the stretch, they'll – They'll absolutely be in the conversation. For so a you talk about metrics, which is great because we know how we love Ken Palm. Um, they jumped yesterday up to third in Ken Palm, their highest ranking in the last couple years in Ken Palm. Uh, definitely not last year. Last year was atrocious. But they're up to third now. And these metrics right here, they're fourth in adjusted offense and they're 19th in defense. Those right there are numbers that will put you in the final four. And they actually jumped to number two on Haslametrics as well. Or at least, uh, did they? I haven't checked it this morning. So, yep, I just hopped on here. They jumped to number two. I think they were number seven or eight off the top of my head. I don't remember exactly, but. And shout out to our guest last week, Eric Haslam from HaslamMetrics.com. Uh, if you guys haven't checked that out, go back to episode 97 last week. What a great segment that was, breaking down how he came up with the Haslam Metrics and everything that goes into it. But, yeah, Kentucky up to third and Ken Palm. Now, guys, I thought – I put it this way, me being a Kentucky fan, um, non-biased opinion yesterday. I predicted last week on the show when we talked about it, I thought Kansas would win this game. But I also thought if we had Ty Ty Washington, we could at least keep it close and maybe steal win. Nowhere in that book of breaking the game down yesterday did I think Kentucky would flat come into Allen Fieldhouse and run Kansas off the floor. You made a really good point about Ty Ty because I'm looking at the box score right now. Only finished with two points, five assists, but his fingerprints were all over this one. That, you could see the how offense, much he was missing him. The offense we talked about last week after Auburn game, the offense moves so much more fluid when he's in the game. Only two points, but his just being a threat on the floor makes the defense have to stress that much more. I'll let you go back to your point. No, that was pretty much just the point I was making, and I think, uh, you know, Severe ends up with eight assists, but... You made this point last week. When Severe's running the offense, he just he dribbles the air out of the ball. I, I like him. He's a great player, but they don't get nearly as much ball movement when it's just him out there running the offense. So I think it was huge for Ty Ty to be there. Um, I was surprised that Abaji didn't have a great game. You know, I picked Kansas to win also, and he was my pick for player of the game. And uh, Kansas is sort of going to go as he goes. So if he only has 13, they're going to struggle. Yeah, I mean, Kentucky's up 51. And it looks like we have a Jayhawk fan in uh, listening to us live. Um, let us know your thoughts. Tweet us, private message us. Let us know your thoughts on the game. We'll read it on here. But 
Kentucky's up 51-31 at halftime. I mean, just blowing Kansas away. The Jayhawks were awful in that first half especially. I think some of that had to do with it felt like they were tight. I was watching Twitter. Um, we were doing the live game th- updates on the Twitter page, but we were, you know, I was keeping an eye on people, what they were saying. And a lot of Kansas fans were disappointed how tight it felt Kansas was. You wouldn't think in a game, especially number five in the nation, they play big games all the time, um, especially at home. They felt so tight in this game. They felt like they had a lot of pressure, it seemed like, because they couldn't hit anything. But I also think some of that, too, you got to give credit to Kentucky's defense. Like we've just mentioned, they're 19th now in Ken Palm. I think that's the, an underrated or an underrated part, if I could spit it out, of Kentucky's game is their defense. The job that they did on Oche Abaji, they were going to make Kansas have somebody else beat them because Kansas ran nice action, was trying to get him off baselines, trying to isolate him in side pick and rolls, and Kentucky was helping high. They were hedging. I thought Kellen Grady, the best defensive performance I've seen him in a Kentucky jersey all season, was chasing Ochai. Um, They frustrated him. He had three points in the first half. Three points. They got nothing essentially from Wilson. Um, Tyler Cook, obviously, you know, one of the longtime members, former co-host of the show, longtime Kansas fan. Um, he was talking about how disappointed he was with David McCormick because Oscar Shebway is a handful as is, but if you're going to let him bully you as well, you have no shot. Like McCormick was terrible in that game yesterday. Yeah, like you said, he, I mean, he had no shot against Oscar. He didn't even look like he belonged on the court with him. And I think Self at a certain point seen that also because he only ended up with 16 minutes. Um, but Bill Self, if you listen to his press conference after the game, was very complimentary of the Wildcats. And I think he made a good point that it's not like Kansas played a terrible game. This game was more about how well Kentucky played than it was about how bad Kansas played. And Kentucky is a legit national title contender. And I think anybody who you know says otherwise is clearly showing a little bit of bias. Yeah, the Cats last night showed their A game yet again. The same A game we've seen against North Carolina, the same A game against Tennessee. After the the Tennessee blowout a few weeks ago, I think it was Matt Norlander from CBS that tweeted out, Kentucky just does not play close games when they win, essentially. I know we had the overtime game against Mississippi State the other night, but that's more the exception as opposed to the rule this year. When Kentucky's playing their A game, they're beating everybody up. And Kansas found that out last night. Uh, Kentucky six of eighteen from the three point line. Not a great shooting performance, which is crazy. But you got you in a game like that. You need somebody else to step up. Keon Brooks had a career night. Twenty seven points, eight boards, nine to ten from the foul line. He was tremendous. He ate the middle of the floor up against Kansas, and they had no answer. When Kansas ran man, Keon was down on the block. The about that fifteen foot range to the inside the basket was killing that. When they went zone, he was the middle flasher. They didn't guard him high enough. He would hit a jump shot. He would put it on the deck. He would go for lobs. He was, like I said, eight rebounds. He was rebounding the ball, which is hard to do on this team when Oscar grabs up everything. Um, Keon Brooks, career night last night, and you need a, a guy like that to win big games. Absolutely. Those are the kind of performances, you know, that you need in the tournament as well. Those, those random guys kind of step up, hit a few key shots. Um, again, I'm just looking at the box score here. Oscar with four steals. I mean, I knew he was uh, dominant defensively, but he was just all over the place last night. He's sneaky quick. We've seen it all season. When a guy does not step into him and hold his position on the post very well, he is so elusively quick at that size that he just steps around and knocks the ball away. That's all he does. 
He just steps around and knocks the ball away. Oscar Sheba, you mentioned him, 17 points, 14 boards. And again, it's weird a guy has a night like that and we think it's kind of a quiet night because we're so used to him getting 20, 25 rebounds. But two National Player of the Year contenders, and I said this to Peyton. He came into this game and I agreed with him. Oche Abaji's probably the slight front runner for National Player of the Year. But I changed my pick after last night because Oscar does something that no other player in the country can do, and that's dominate a game just by his presence out there. He can block shots. We're talking about the steals coming out of the post. He's a he, he, I mean, he's hit 15-foot jump shots now. As soon as he added that to his game this year, it's a wrap. You know, 14 boards. He dominates a game more than any other player in college basketball. That's why I think he's now the front runner for player of the year. Yeah, I'm trying to pull it up real quick, but the guy's averaging 15 rebounds a game, and I can't recall anybody coming close to that in, in my recent memory, but I'm trying to pull it up and see when the last time somebody averaged that many a game was. I mean, it's it's been a while. They've talked about it, and I forgot who it was, but while you're looking that up, Kellen Grady, 12 points. He's just a sniper. Like I said, we were praising his defense last night on Oche Obagi and stuff, but coming off, hitting threes in transition, uh, there's a re- there's a reason the dude came in scoring over 2,000 points from Davidson. Um, Kentucky, I'll ask you guys this. I want to get your opinions, and the, our listeners, they can tweet us and let us know their opinion. Kentucky's A game is better than anybody else's A game in the country this year. Totally agree. I, I think, you know, we have that conversation about some inconsistency in teams at their best, at their worst, whatever. But at their absolute best, I don't think anybody in the country beats Kentucky. Not the way they play defense, the way they get up and transition and put pressure on you, hitting threes. They've got eccentric three-point guards out there at any given time. Four, if they go small and have mints in there as well. You got shooters, you got rebounders, you defend, you're athletic. That's one thing that Bill Self really talked about, and I know Kansas fans were upset about because after they got blown out by USC in the tournament last year, Bill kept talking about, oh, we're going to get more athletic. We got to get more athletic. And he even admitted in his post game last night, they had one dude referencing Ochai Abaji who could go up and make the plays that like Keon Brooks and Jacob Toppin may, but that's it. So Kansas fans, from what I've seen last night, are still upset that they're not more athletic than they are, and it showed last night. Kentucky, to me, take my fandom and everything away because you know I'm trying. You know I always stay non-biased when we talk about this. I've railed on them last week, railed on them when they need it, but their A game's better than everybody else's A game, and that's dangerous in tournament time. I don't care you throw Gonzaga or Baylor or whoever. When Kentucky's hitting and they're clicking on and firing all cylinders. They're the best team in the nation when they're playing like that. Yeah, well, and, and I'm happy you brought up Jacob Toppin because what I was going to say is uh, it's their depth, too. You know, with Toppin coming off the bench, Mintz coming off the bench. Um, it's. I feel like their problem in the past has been not necessarily having experienced guys that can come off the bench and give them a bucket when they need it because, you know, they have relied so much on one-and-dones, that type of thing. But this year they have that, which also makes them dangerous. Yeah, um, Cal really hit the transfer portal hard this year. Brought in, like I said, we said at the beginning of the year, it's the most experienced Kentucky team in history as far as 
minutes uh, or number of college minutes played returning, and it's starting to show out. Cat's looking very dangerous. Let's finish on Kansas though. Ochai gets his. He's been in double figures every game this season. Now got to the 13 point mark. Not his best game at all. Christian Braun or Brown had uh, 13 points. He played a little better second half. Kansas went to the triangle and two was getting carved up in it. Finally went to the zone. I think the one thing that's going to beat Kentucky this year, besides a cold shooting night, is teams who will zone us for the entirety and play well. Because that 2-3 slowed Kentucky down, didn't let them get out and run, made them go side to side instead of trying to attack the rim until they finally figured it out. Kansas started to creep back in. I think the lead got down to 14, never got past that. Kansas, looking ahead though, they're, they're still a really good team. I don't. This doesn't change anything. This was one bad night that they had against a very good opponent who was playing at the top of their level. Kansas is 17-3. and three. They're number five. They'll drop a little bit. Shouldn't drop far. That'd be very harsh. Kansas, to me, is still a Final Four caliber team when it gets to March. Um, but I think it did open their eyes a little bit. They got, they got punked at home. Looking forward, moving ahead to Kansas. Their schedule does them no favors coming up. I'll have to pull that, but I think they've got a Iowa State net coming up. They've got Baylor coming up. They've got Texas. I think those are their next three in that sort of order. Iowa State, Baylor, Texas, and want that kind of order. Um, so their schedule does them no favors. I actually think what they've got the third or fourth toughest schedule remaining in college basketball. So they're going to have opportunities to get it figured out, but they're also going to have opportunities to – maybe get beat up again if they don't get it figured out. So, you guys, I want to ask you, looking ahead, moving forward to Kansas, we know they're good. What do they take from this, and how do they get themselves back on track? Like you said, I'm looking at their schedule right now, and it's it's tough. They still got both games left with Baylor. Um, they got to go at Iowa State, at Texas. They got a game with OU and Oklahoma State. So, it's, it's going to be a tough, tough stretch for them. They need to find some consistent post play. You know, we talked about David McCormick. Um, they just, that's been sort of the weakness for this team this year. And that's very atypical of a Bill Self coach team, but they just don't have the dogs down low. And then Christian Brown, I love him. He's, he's a, he's a really good player. Again, I, I don't want to bash it, but he sort of disappears from the bigger games sometimes. We've seen it in the uh, Texas Tech game a few weeks ago. I think they just need some guys to step up. Abaji's just not going to be able to do it by himself. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. He can't do it by himself. He'll win you some games. Like, he's going to win single-handedly, win you some games. But I'm looking at a guy, again, Remy Martin. I know he's been battling some injuries. He came off the bench last night, played 14 minutes, five points, one assist. Um, Didn't really give him a whole lot. I know he's got to get healthy. But I still think Remy Martin's the key to this team, man. Um, I know, like, you talk about post play and McCormack and Lightfoot and K.J. Adams. I thought Adams played actually kind of decent the minutes he got yesterday, considering the opposition he had to go against. Um, I think he's a big freshman that they are, they're going to be really happy moving forward and kind of be in the future of that post play for Kansas. But I think a guy like Remy Martin has to play well. Him and, and Jalen Coleman Lands. Lands came in from Iowa State as a, a big-time player from them. I thought he was going to be, you know, big time this year for Kansas. Five minutes, two points, you know, one of two from the field. I think the transfers, Martin and Coleman Lance, have to help out that backcourt for Kansas if they're going to make a legit run to a Final Four and potential national championship. Well, and to your point with uh, Coleman Lance transferring in, and he just 
He was averaging 14 a game last year, and he's averaging four for Kansas this year. He's only getting just under 10 minutes a game. Uh, I think it's just hard for some guys to adjust to a completely different role. Um, you know, we're sort of seeing it in te- at Texas with Marcus Carr, not necessarily a completely different role, but, you know, he expected to be the guy, the guy, like he was at Minnesota. And some guys just aren't cut out to uh, fall in, fall into a, a bigger or a smaller role, excuse me. Last thing on this Kansas-Kentucky game, um, I mean, it was complete domination. We talked about it, Kentucky, you know, up 20 at half, wins by 18. You look at the stats across the board, the Cats out-rebounded the Jayhawks 41-29, to 12 on assists, 7-4 to on steals. Um, they had fewer turnovers. They had nine. Kansas had 11. Um, the one last thing I do want to say on this is the officiating was so bad in that first half. Both ways, I thought, and I, like I said, I'll be fair, Kansas got the raw end of the deal on a handful of calls more than Kentucky did on the first half, but officiating's got to be better. Some of these dudes, I'm just like, what are you watching out there? Like, you can't in a magnitude of this game especially. You can't swallow the whistle when you need to make calls, and you can't call fouls on shit that's not fouls. Like, officiating's got to be better across the board. Yeah, we've talked about this multiple times over the past few weeks, and just you know all across different conferences but my big thing is consistency if you're going to let the game be physical call it that way the whole game if you're gonna call it tight call it that way the whole game so the players can adjust to the style that it's being called but you see them calling a game you know letting a bunch of stuff go in the first half then calling it super tight in the second half and it's it's a problem all across college basketball yeah, officiating's got to be better. But Kentucky with, I think, again, I think that's probably the biggest win all year anybody's had considering the opponent they were playing, the record at home Kansas holds, um, the magnitude of the game, and to go in there and just dog walk the Jayhawks like that, I think that was probably the biggest and best win any team in college basketball had this year. So Kentucky's on the rise. Kansas is going to be fine. They've just got to figure it out because their schedule is going to do them no favors. Let's go to, we talked about the top of the show, the Chris Mack firing. Let's talk about the game yesterday. Coach K's last go around at Louisville in the Yum Center. The the Jayhawks, I'm sorry, not Jayhawks, the Cardinals finally a packed arena. It was a noon tip, you know, 20,000 people in the Yum Center for Coach Peegs. It's a new era, turning on a new leaf. Duke wins 74-65. That was expected, but Louisville was in this game. I think if you're a Louisville fan, you got to be at least excited. I know you don't want to lose, but you finally look better for the first time since you left the Bahamas. You look like a team that's able to be on the same floor as a Duke and compete. And if this is the Louisville effort they're going to get going forward, I still think they got a shot to maybe not make the tournament, but to create some waves inside the ACC this year. Yeah, I think they'll definitely catch some teams by surprise in the ACC this year. And like you said, it, it was big for them to just compete. Even in a good Louisville year, you could very easily lose a game to Duke. That's not a bad loss. So for them to be in the game the whole time and look like a you know a top 15, 20 program and not some mid-major that just looked in over their head um, was a huge step for them this year. And you heard Malik Williams talk about it um, I don't know if it was after this game or if it was actually before the game, but just sort of how they they like – is it Peegs? I think me and Corey are both struggling with the pronunciation on I this. think I am too. It's either Peegs or Peegas. I'm, I'm just going to call him Peegs because I'm not for sure on pronunciation. 
but yeah, Malik Williams mentioned how they struggled from they they adjusted the peaks at the beginning of the year, then had to adjust back to Mac, and you know Mac's just not as fiery, um, and so I think that energy is going to be a lot higher for Peaks going forward the rest of the year. Look at their style of play yesterday too. They looked fun. They were defending. They were helping each other out. They were communicating. They were pushing transition and trying to catch Duke on their back foot and got some easy ones. They hit eight threes yesterday. I don't know the last time Louisville's hit eight threes. Um, you talk about Malik Williams, 10 points, 12 boards. I thought he was tremendous. Dre Davis, 16 points. And then a guy like L. Ellis finally comes out. He looked like the junior college L. Ellis. 18 points off the bench, hit three threes. Despite losing the game, Louisville should feel very good moving forward. Looking at Duke, though, in this game, um, they just, you know, even when Louisville made a run, they just kind of stayed steady. They got 10 from Wendell Moore. A.J. Griffin, of course, 22. The dude's 5 from 5 from 3. He's been tremendous. Paolo Bancaro hit some – he only had 11, but he hit some big shots to kind of kill Louisville's momentum. I mean, Duke's still a handful, and they did this without Trevor Keels. A.J. Griffin is just a fucking stud. Uh, I'm, I'm looking at his stats right now. The guy's shooting 50% from three on the year. That, that's absolutely ridiculous, and he's been on fire these past few games. But uh, he, he's a top-level athlete. Obviously, his dad played in the NBA as an assistant for the Raptors. I think Griffin, by the end of the year, is a top-five pick. Um, and he is the, the key for Duke right now and is what is turning them into a national title contender. You've sort of seen at the beginning of the year they're maybe missing a little bit of that athleticism, that shooting. He brings both of those things. He's a good defender. Uh, he's got an NBA body, so he, he can get downhill and get into the lane and pretty much get anything he wants. I, I think he is going to be the key for them down the stretch. Completely agree. Let's go to your your boys back on, was it Wednesday, Tuesday night, right? Was it Tuesday? I have to go back and look. On Tuesday night, uh, the number 24 fighting Illini holds home court and beats the number 10 Michigan State Spartans in a Big Ten clash at the top of the conference. 56-55. Before I get to yours, though, Corey, I want to hear your opinion on this, being a Big Ten guy yourself. Illinois coming up with a huge home victory. Earth, Corey, there. We'll get him here in a minute. He must be sidetracked doing something else. Phil, I'll let you talk then. Your boys with a big victory. Yeah, I mean, no uh, Curbelo, no uh, Kofi Coburn. We talked about it before the game when they announced that uh, Coburn was going to be out. And I did not think Illinois had any chance. And that's coming from an Illinois fan. But as as any other Illinois fans who listen to this podcast know, we uh, generally win the ones we're not supposed to. And then we bounced back and damn near lost to Northwestern yesterday with Coburn in the lineup. So uh, it's just par for the course for us. But, uh, you know, they played a great first half, completely dominated up 14 at the half, got completely dominated in the second half, got bailed out with uh, some a missed free throw at the end. So I'm more interested to hear what you think because I feel like I'm just in my emotions about this Illini team right now. Yeah, I think, man – I think they're a little better in Alabama, but they have very similar Crimson Tide vibes where they'll play up to the competition and play down to the competition. Whoever they're playing is going to dictate how they play. They're not going to blow out a team they should blow out, but the teams that maybe they shouldn't beat, they're going to beat. I think They have very much those vibes. And I think at their best, we talked about Kentucky's A game, I think Illinois' A game can take them to definitely the second weekend 
Um, maybe beyond that, you know, depending how they play. But this game, they had nine threes. They are nine of twenty-nine from three. I know they took a bunch, but that's kind of in their their mo, especially without you know Corbello and Kofi to dump it down to inside. Um, I think when Illinois is hitting threes and they take care of the basketball like they, they only had seven turnovers against a very good Michigan State defense. Again, without their two best players, arguably, and um, able to get that win, I think that their A game can – let's put it this way. Their A game's definitely Sweet 16 good. Their A game's good enough with the right matchups and if they get hot to potentially take them beyond that. Yeah, I think you described it perfectly. I think that at their best, you know, if they, if they get the right matchups <clears> – <throat> excuse me – and. Uh, can get up for the games. I think they could very easily make the Sweet 16 or the Elite Eight. I also think that depending on the matchup, it wouldn't surprise me at all to see them out in the first round. They're they're just that kind of team. You brought up Alabama, very similar. You know, shoot a lot of threes. Um, looking at this Michigan State game, they they got out rebounded by 14. We're still able to pull out the win. Turnovers were kind of a key, um, and that's one thing Illinois does well. They they do defend well. They force turnovers. They pressure the ball well. So that's something that they can lean on, but they're wildly inconsistent offensively. Yeah, I don't know. Um, very strange, but a big-time win that puts them at the top of the conference. I'll have to pull up the Big Ten here in just a second. But staying in the Big Ten, if Corey's with us, he'll be able to talk about it. If not, we'll talk about it. You know, we praise Indiana beating Purdue, and then after we're done recording, they get beat by home at Michigan. Since then, they've beat Penn State, and then they go on the road and get a big road win against Maryland yesterday. How are we feeling about IU still? I still think that they're good. I think the Michigan game was more of a deal of a hangover effect where they're coming off this high. Two days later, they've got to play Michigan. And you got to give credit to the Wolverines. They hit a shit ton of threes in this game and were small and spread Indiana out. Indiana bounces back nicely, picks up two more wins. How are we feeling about IU right now after the post-Purdue game? So, I'm sorry I'm back with you guys now. I uh, had to do a little work. So, uh, no, Indiana, I think the biggest thing that happened, you know, is Indiana came out a little bit uh, of a letdown after having a very emotional game. You know, hitting the game winner and all that stuff kind of was a big dictating factor in that. Uh, Michigan came out ready to play right away, hit a couple of threes. Hunter Dickinson sat there and who had hit, you know, very many threes in the, uh, you know, Big Ten season to start off with, came out and stepped out and hit a few, kind of spread the defense. And uh, that, that, that ball is gone. Sorry, Marty Brennan, call out. Yes. Uh, no, you're good, man. <laughs> and with that, Nick Cassiano ties up the game. No, I'm uh, a man of faith. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I had to do it. The ball was just hit hard, threw a guy out a second. So I was like, all right, it was a good play. So uh, sorry, a little sidetrack there. But no, um, I think Michigan spread the defense early. And so they just kind of got on a run, hitting, I think they shot 73% from three in the first half, which is completely uncalled of or uncalled from, uh, you know, in typical games. Indiana just kind of was lackluster. And anytime Indiana made any kind of run, they come back. Um, Michigan had an answer and spread it right back out to about 16 points. And it just kind of was a, you know, a tale of runs that Indiana would try to make something come back. And then, uh, you know, coming back out, I think uh, Indiana was a lot more focused of going up 46 or what, 17 at halftime. Uh, they made sure to sit there and put, you know, put no doubt into uh, the fans again and sit there and really make a dominant force uh, going on the road against Maryland, who had been 
you know, a spotty team, but pretty decent at home, and sat there and came in and picked up a nice road win, went by 13. So all those things, uh, Indiana's starting to figure it out, starting to win some road games after starting out 0-4. They're now 2-4. and uh, A couple more opportunities coming ahead of winnable games. We talked about that, you know, the biggest thing they need to do is win two out of the next three after that Purdue win. So they got 1-1 one one right now. I think they need to pick up this next one. Uh, against Illinois on uh, next weekend. I think, you know, if they do that, then, uh, they're setting themselves up for a really good future. And got to give credit to Xavier Johnson. I think over his last four, he's averaging right around 17 a game. Been a huge lift to this IU team. Um, yeah, before we move on, Phil, any other games that kind of caught your eye this week you want to talk about? Yeah, that uh, Alabama-Baylor game yesterday. Just wanted to uh, talk about it a little bit. Just I actually picked Alabama to win in our group pick them. They're, they're kind of the type of team that I, I feel like will give Baylor problems throughout the year. But um, there's just a few – I noticed a few interesting stats about Alabama with their uh, three-point shooting. They're eighth in attempts and 296th in percentage. <laughs> and, and they're still a top 10 offense efficiently efficiency-wise. So I, I think if they could get that under control, they could find a lot more consistency in their game. And I'm curious what y'all, yeah, I think, y'all think. Yeah, I think Alabama is one of those teams that hitting the three dictates whether they win or not. They're going to take a bunch of attempts, but if they're hitting, we've seen. They've got one of the weirdest resumes in college basketball. They've beaten Gonzaga. They've beaten Baylor, right? Um Weird, and then they've lost to a, a bad Memphis team. Now they've lost to Georgia. They've lost to Missouri. I can't figure them out, but I think that's right there on par with them. Like you just mentioned with the three-point shooting, if they're hitting, they can beat anybody. But if they're ice cold, they're not going to beat too many teams. They're the first team in history to knock off uh, three out of the four final four teams from the previous season, which is a pretty crazy stat as well. But. uh yeah, like I said, I just I think their style matched up well with Baylor, and I, I think like we talked about with Illinois, they're one of those teams that I wouldn't be shocked at all if they made it to the Final Four. I wouldn't be shocked at all if they got knocked off by a 12 seed in the first round. Um, I think what's going to be key for them is sort of what kind of seeding they end up with. You know how they finish the season if they are able to finish the season strong and get themselves into a maybe a three, even a number two seed somehow then I think they could make a deep run if they end up, you know, finishing a little bit slower and ending up in the five, six, seven range. I think that's where you could see them struggle and get knocked off early. Completely agree. Let's turn our attention to this upcoming week's games. Let's start with Alabama on Tuesday night. They get their rematch at down on the plains against number one Auburn, big time rivalry game. They played a great game a few weeks ago in Alabama, the one Auburn was able to pull out with a victory. Do you think history repeats itself considering it's on the road at Auburn, or can Alabama hit enough threes like, to take down another top team and just build on that crazy resume? I'm excited to see the game. Honestly, I think uh, Nate Oates' uh, squad comes out. Uh, I think they're going to sit there and try and have that high-power offense again. I just don't know if they can repeat it. Their team that's been you know up and down, they do play up to their competition, though, so the perfect opportunity to sit there and uh, get another resume statement win. Uh, I just don't know if they honestly have enough. I think Auburn pulls out the victory, especially being at home. Uh, I just don't know if they have enough to really win that. Yeah, I would go with Auburn in this one, too. I mean, one of the key struggles Alabama's had so far has been on the road as well. They're 1-4 and four on the road. 
and Auburn, as we've seen, has become, you know, surprisingly a pretty uh, raucous environment, calling it the jungle now. So uh, I like Auburn kind of big in this one, actually. I think it might get away from Alabama. I think you took the words out of my mouth. Peyton actually referenced it, and I, I think I tend to agree with him this year at least. Kansas by far has the number one home court advantage in college basketball at Allen Fieldhouse. I think Auburn, the, the quote-unquote jungle, is probably number two this year. You look at the atmosphere that they've created. I think Alabama can make it interesting for about 20 minutes. I think if they hit more threes, if they can get to that 10 three made three plateau, then they've given themselves a really good shot. But I think Auburn's defense and athleticism, and at the end of the day, they've got a guy – that's a, a future top three, top four pick that can go win them a game if need be. I'm with you. I think Auburn, I think Auburn wins this comfortably at the end of the game. I'll give it a 78-63 final Auburn's victory. Um, let's go to the Pac-12 and another rematch from last week. This is a big one. Number seven, UCLA at number three, Arizona on Thursday evening out in the West Coast. UCLA held home court last this past week against Arizona. Now they'll flip the script and go on the road. How are we feeling about this one? Can UCLA make the double on it? I'm going to go ahead and speak first on this one. Uh, everybody kind of has heard what I think of UCLA. I think, you know, they came out and scored it well at home. I just don't think they can go on the road and take it from Arizona. I think Arizona's going to be better prepared. Arizona's going to sit there and come back uh, with a lot of vengeance and sit there and take this one. Yeah, I um. I think Arizona gets the revenge at home. I, I do like UCLA team. Um, I know we had Eric Haslam on last week. He was talking about the metrics, and UCLA's not really impressed team, but I've seen he started to change his tune a little bit as well after this victory this last week when UCLA beat Arizona. UCLA still got that talent from the Final Four. They defend well. I think it's dependent on a guy like Johnny Juzang if he can get hot down there in Arizona against the Wildcats. But I think Arizona figured out out of way and holds home court. I've got Arizona winning this game. Um, 70-65. Yeah, I'm going to go with Arizona in this one as well. Uh, if you look at the uh, some of the metrics from their meeting last week and uh, sort of expected shooting and stuff like that, the game could have been a lot closer than it was. Arizona just didn't knock down any shots at all. I mean, uh, Kirk Risa went 0 for 12, 0 for 9 from three-point range. He's not going to do that again. So I like Arizona holding home court. I'm sort of with Corey here because I'm just struggling to believe in UCLA. So I'd take Arizona 75-67. Here's one on... We've got a trio of games on Saturday we're going to talk about real quick. We'll start with your two teams. Corey, you got your Indiana Hoosiers at home playing host to the number 24-ranked Fighting Illini of Illinois. Um, this is going to be a good Big Ten tilt here. Illinois at the top of the conference. Indiana's starting to get a little steam going now, 7-4 and four in conference play. Um, I'll let you two take it. These are your teams. I, well, here, I'll, let me do this. I'll give you my prediction real quick. I think Indiana holds home court. I think that, um, especially if Coburn and Curbelo don't play, um, I think Indiana will win this game. I think it could be ugly at times because both teams kind of the way they are. So I'll say Indiana wins 69-65. Yeah, like you said, I think a huge key for Illinois is whether uh, Coburn and Curbelo play and are you know healthy in themselves. But home court in the Big Ten tends to be a huge factor. 
uh, Assembly Hall has sort of had quite the comeback this year with uh, their atmosphere, as we've talked about, you know, some tough places to play this year. And uh, I don't know. I have a feeling in my gut that TJD has a nice game for Indiana and uh, the Hoosiers get the win 63-58 and just a good old-fashioned rock fight. I think uh, I think you said the magic thing. Uh, Assembly Hall, the Assembly Hall, the Hall of Legends, the Hall of Mike Woodson. How would I know he was going to say that? Yeah, and Indiana, the Hoosiers sit there and take this one. In my opinion, I think uh, I think TJD is going to sit there and have a, a standout game, especially after the way uh, he kind of got you know shortchanged on playing time against Purdue with foul trouble. Uh, and kind of going under the radar, I think he says that makes a statement that he'd go against a, uh, a top-tier big ten or a top-tier uh, you know big man. Uh, in my opinion, uh, if Kilburn does play, if not, then I still think he sits there and has a, even more of a standout game. Uh, Race Thompson, Xavier Johnson, uh, all those guys kind of stepping up. Um, I think uh, you know the game kind of comes to Indiana uh, being at home. I think you know like you said, there's going to be some ugly runs. I think uh, the biggest thing is is uh, Indiana's going to sit there and lock up the defense and have another kind of you know statement win uh, on the defensive end. I think they sit there and take it uh, seventy-one to sixty-three. I think the one key in this though will be three-point shooting. Um, we talked about Illinois knocking off Michigan State; they hit nine of them. Illinois shooting 36.9% from the three-point line this year, 37th best in the nation. Indiana is 61st defending the three. Teams are only shooting 30.8%. So I think it comes down to the three-point line. If Illinois can get off early and often, Illinois can pull off the the road victory. If not, then I don't see a, a clear path of victory on the road against IU. Moving on to the other two big ones on Saturday. I have one question before, you, before we take off. Or take on to the next game. What's your uh, what's your number that Illinois needs to hit from three to sit there and get a statement win in Bloomington? They've got it to me to get the road victory. They've got to at least get eight. If they can get eight, I think they've got enough um, offense, especially if Corbello and Kofi does play. Kofi's going to give them second, third opportunities on the glass. I think they got to at least get eight. Yeah, I'm along those same lines. I'm actually a little higher. I think, uh, obviously, it depends on, you know, where they end up with attempts and all that good stuff. But I would say safely 10. If they hit 10, I think uh, they have a very, very good chance of winning. Moving on to the other. I was going to say, I was going to 11 with mine. So, you were pretty close to Moving on to the other two big games of Saturday we're going to talk about. Number four, Baylor at number five, Kansas. We'd spent all that time talking about Kansas getting blown out by Kentucky. But... They do have another chance. We talked about their schedule coming up. It's brutal. They ho- play host to Baylor. We talked Baylor. You know, they're still a very good team, but a little rattled in the last couple of weeks. Um, Kansas, I think it's going to be interesting, man. I think this could be an exciting game. They kind of mirror each other. Kansas has to become ready to, to essentially fight. Not literally fight, but you know what I'm talking about because Kentucky bullied them. Baylor's going to try to do the exact same thing. Baylor's a very physical team. Kansas must control that that tempo and be the more physical team. Ochai Abaji is going to have to do National Player of the Year candidate stuff. I think he has to go for 20 or more in this game because Baylor's defense is that good. I think this is a close one. I think this is very similar in styles in which they play. If, if either team wins, I think it's going to have to be a guy step up for both. We talked about Remy Martin. I think Remy Martin needs a big game in this one. If he's healthy, he's got to get 12, 15 points, spread Baylor's defense. Kansas needs to try to get in transition, not let Baylor get set up in the half court. 
Um, Baylor just needs to continue to battle and be tough. Flagler, um, you know, I just lost his name. The uh, Akinjo, Akinjo's got to play well. This is a, to me, this is a true pick'em. I'll say because Kansas is at home, we'll say the Kentucky game was, uh, you know, um, an abnormality, I guess. So I've got Kansas winning an exciting game, probably high scoring. I'll say Kansas wins 85-82. Yeah, you sort of touched on what one of my big factors is in the game is that just Kansas coming off a loss at home to Kentucky, I, I don't see them losing two in a row in Allen Fieldhouse. Uh, I think they're going to use this as, uh, you know, a game to sort of come out and prove themselves to the country after getting blown out the way they did this past week in a premier game. So I like Kansas, not big, but I don't think it's going to be a super tight game throughout. Uh, 80-72 with Baylor sort of tightening it late. I think you said the magic word right now is Allen Fieldhouse. I think uh, I think Kansas just will not allow two straight losses at home. I think they're going to come out. I uh, get put down some statements early. I think it'll be close throughout, and I think it's going to be about a, uh, a 79-72 final score. Uh, I think it's going to be a seven-point spread just with the free throw shooting down the end. And then the last one we we'll talk about, this is Coach K's final appearance inside Chapel Hill in the Dean Dome. Going there, this rivalry needs no introduction. Number nine, Duke at North Carolina. We've seen Carolina start to play better. They blew out one of their rivals, North Carolina State, 180 yesterday in a rivalry game. Carolina's finally, I think, starting to put it together. Um, I want to hear your guys' thoughts, though. Coach K's last trip to the Dean Dome, does he get a win, or does he take the L for the final time? I I think he uh, goes into the Dean Dome and gets the W. It's going to be an interesting matchup down low, seeing uh, Baycott and Mark Williams, but... I think you may see Trevor Keels back for this game. And uh, I think guard play is the difference for Duke. You know, the way Griffin's been playing, if they get Keels back, Roach has been playing well. They got, you know, he's not a guard, obviously he's forward, but Boncaro. Uh, Duke just has too much for Carolina. So uh, I'm going to take Duke 90-83. And uh, Carolina keeps it close just because the emotion and it's in the Dean Dome. But they're a little in over their heads. I was going to say, I agree. I think uh, I think Duke just has too much firepower. I think they sit there and come out. And it's definitely going to be a high emotional game. I think it gets a little chippy at times. Uh, I think the biggest thing is, is just Duke's firepower going to sit there and withstand what North Carolina can throw at them. I think North Carolina has a couple big shots to keep it close. But I still think for Duke, or not for well, uh, just uh, I think Duke sits there and uh, pulls it out for Coach K. I think uh, I think they sit there and go into Chapel Hill and uh, roll out. Uh, I think it's going to be a uh, 87-76 game. Yeah, I think I'm on par with you guys. I've got Duke winning this just because I think they're the better team. However, we've seen crazier things happen in this rivalry. Um, I, I think the keys for Carolina are Baycott's got to play well. Um, he's going to have Mark Williams and you know Theo, Theo John on him, um, both really great defenders. We've seen kind of how Oscar defended um, Baycott in their, that matchup, so Baycott's got to play well. I think a key for Carolina, they're, uh, in their DNA is to push the ball, make or miss, get it out of the net and go, or get it off the rim and go. They've got to find some easy ones in transition. Duke, we've talked about, not the deepest team. See if they can get them in deep waters and foul trouble. Ben Carroll is going to be the best player on the floor at any given time. 
But Carolina needs – we've seen it with Louisville. Louisville got some transition buckets on Duke and caught them scrambling with getting layups, dunks, and threes. Carolina's got to magnify that and see if they can replicate some of that. I think a key match – a key for Carolina if they want to get this upset victory at home – if a guy like Brady Manick, I know Dawson Garcia's got some personal issues. He stepped away from the team. If he's back, but Brady Manick has got to play well. He's got to be a pick and pop, look to shoot and hit the three like he did at Oklahoma. Pull those bigs away from the rim and open that lane up for driving lanes. If he can do that, if Manick can hit two or three threes and stretch the floor out, Carolina's got a very good shot at pulling the upset, but... That's kind of the unknown. We know what Duke is. I've got Duke winning. I'm going to say in the same realm. I say like 91. I'll say 91-80 because I think free throws at the end of the game. I think Coach K goes in and gets the dub in this final trip to the Dean Dome. Um, let's start going ahead and uh, wrapping things up here, going down to the end. We introduced it last week. Phil's idea, love it. We talked about the SoCon last week. Let's go to another mid-major spotlight. Let's go to the Ohio Valley Conference. Um, Phil, I'll let you take the start here because I love the Ohio Valley, and I think they've got two legit teams in that conference this year. Oh, excuse, sorry, I was muted there. Um, they actually have three between uh, Belmont, Moorhead State, and Murray State, obviously Murray State being the favorite. But uh, I'll let you talk about Murray State a little bit, but I love Belmont. You know, consistently a tournament contender. They, they play as good of offense as anybody, just knock down threes, you know, that typical mid-major, tough defense, slow pace, hit some threes on you. But they got uh, two guys averaging 15-plus in Ben Shepard and Nick Mazinski. Will Richards, a really good knockdown shooter, shooting 37% from three. Um, Belmont could shock Murray State in the conference tournament. Oh, I, trust me, I, I know all about Belmont. I think they're tremendous. They've been very good over the last decade or so, but Murray State's the team I want to focus on. They're 36 in Ken Palm. They're 20 wins already on the year, 20-2. and two. Um, They beat Memphis for what that's worth. They played at Auburn back at, right before Christmas. They lost by 13, but that was a close game for the majority of that game, 71-58. They're 44th in offense, 50th in defense. They've got top 50 in both offense and defense efficiency. Um, they shoot the three ball well, 35% about average, but they defend it even better. Teams are only shooting 29% from three against them, 26th in the nation. And they've got two star closers that you need. K.J. Williams and Tevin Brown are as good of backcourt as you're going to find, in, especially a mid-major, but right there in the country. Williams and Brown are 15 to 20 point scores per night, and you got a bunch of good role players, Trey Hannibal, Justice Hill, DJ Burns. This is a very good Murray State, and like I said, they're not going to back down away from competition. If they go ahead and win the Ohio Valley, get the auto bid, um, they're probably going to be a 12 seed, a 12-13 seed. Maybe an 11 if the committee really favors them, you know, especially if they run out the rest of the table. That would put them right around 30 wins. Um, This is a dangerous team. This is honestly a team that, depending on the right matchup, I've probably got them as a first-round upset. That's how much I enjoy and favor this Murray State team. Yeah, like you mentioned with their guards, they can just flat-out shoot the ball. I mean, Tevin Brown shooting above 40% from three. Justice Hill is 39.5%. They got Trey Hannibal coming off the bench, shooting almost 45%. Um, they do, they have a ton of guys they can go to that can get looks from behind the three-point line. So it's not even like, you know, 
come tournament time, you can sort of focus on that one star player that a lot of mid-major teams have because they do have four or five guys who can knock down shots and beat you. And for a mid-major, quote-unquote, they're pretty big. Look at their starting five. Six foot, six one, six five, six seven, and six ten. in K.J. Williams. I mean, it's not often you find it a mid-major or low-major like that, that type of size that can shoot. They're experienced. Tevin Brown was teammates with John Morant when they were there, and they won the first round against Marquette. This is a very dangerous Murray State team. Like I said, depending on the matchup in the first round, I've got the racers at least going to the second round. And uh, just a player I want to bring up real quick because we didn't get a chance to really talk about Moorhead State too much. But uh, Johnny Broom is a really, really good player as well. He's going for 16 points a game, 10 rebounds, almost four blocks. Um, like you said, you don't really see those you know, physical kind of big men at, at quote, mid-majors too much. But the kid's 6'10", 235, uh, and he's only a freshman. So, you know, I don't want to speculate on anything I don't have any information on but it would not surprise me to see him in the transfer portal and uh, at a high major next year you tuck the words right out of my mouth a player like that um, yeah he'll be highly coveted by a lot of high profile teams Um, starting to round it down though of course Ohio Valley if you haven't got checked them out yet I know we focus on the big conferences but this is why we want to give some spotlight like the SoCon the Ohio Valley you're going to find them normally on like ESPN3 or um the app, the ESPN app, if you're ever, you know, want to check out a game, try to check out, like, Murray State, Belmont, Moorhead State. These guys are fun to watch. Let's start winding things down for episode 98. Let's go to the shout-out segment. I've got my three. Of course, my first one's got to be Keon Brooks. 27 points, eight boards, and the blowout victory in Allen Fieldhouse last night. The junior, I know it's the stigma, especially a place like Kentucky, You come in as a five-star, you should probably be done after one year, two max. But he's a junior, and he's proven that it's a good decision, and he's playing his role. You know how easy it would be for a guy like him to be like, no, this is my time to shine. He's having a great season this year, but he knows his role. He knows he's a guy that needs to go score some, but needs to rebound and be a leader. He showed out last night in front of a bunch of NBA scouts. 27 points, 8 rebounds. Good on Keon Brooks. My second one, Notre Dame Fighting Irish is one of the hottest teams in America. They've won nine of their last ten, including a win over the red-hot Kentucky Wildcats we talked about. Notre Dame beat Virginia last night. This is a team that shoots the ball well. They cut and move. They're very tricky to defend. They've got a bunch of experienced guys. And this is a prototypical Mike Bray team where they're they're not going to be flashy, but they're going to be extremely tough to play against. Notre Dame winners of 9 to the last 10 are going to make a serious assault on the ACC regular season crown. And then my last shout-out, how the hell – I talked about uh, Caitlin Clark last week. How the hell could you not give some love to Aoka Lee from Kansas State? 61 points. Not just against anybody. They did it against the number 14 team in the nation, Oklahoma. She had 61 points, and her field goal percentage was crazy. It was like 65-70% from the field. 61 points, the top score in any men's or women's game this year. So those are my three shout-outs. Tremendous this last week. Yeah, I only got uh, two shout-outs this week, and one of them is actually somebody I've shouted out already in the past, but uh, he's probably my favorite player in the country. Goes off again yesterday, Terquavion Smith from NC State. You know, uh, with Sebron not doing anything for NC State yesterday, only had two points. 
they needed a big performance from somebody. And uh, Smith came out, got 34 points, kind of asserted himself as possibly the best player on the floor, which is, uh, you know, impressive against UNC. NC State still uh, got blown out, but it would have gotten much uglier if they didn't have Traquavion Smith. And uh, my second one is the uh, NC Central Eagles, Lavelle Lavelle Moten, excuse me. Um, They had a month layoff an entire month for COVID, and uh, they've gotten out to a 2-1 and one start in the conference. Lost to Howard Saturday in a tough one, but uh, they're going to be right there come uh, end of the conference season and conference tournament time. I'll say I only got two as well. Um, you know, this one's going to be uh, dear to Peyton's heart, but one's the University of Louisville. Uh, listening to the players, listening to the fans, and kind of making a midseason move that surprises everybody. Uh, I think it's a move that needs to happen. Um, you know, possibly the hard decision to make it happen in the middle of the year is something that a lot of a lot of big time programs won't do. Uh, but they sit there and make a, a statement move, just sit there and kind of move in the right direction. And uh, so my first one is the University of Louisville, and then the second one is uh, Christian Lander uh, from uh, Indiana. So somebody that you know hasn't got a whole lot of playing time has been down with uh, an injury. And then also just uh, kind of building back the trust of uh, Woodson with some struggles at the defensive end comes in uh, in yesterday's game at Maryland. hits uh, two for two from the floor. Sits there and slows the game down. Has some good, you know, defensive plays. Sits there and rebounds. Uh, has some assists and overall just kind of played a, a game that you know was uh, you know minus on the or you know kind of smaller uh, stat line, but at the same time was key. You know, 10, 10 minutes that he came in and kind of just put some uh, trust back into himself. So. Those are my two shout-outs. Yeah, I think those, I think those are great. Um, but winding down episode 98, like I said, this is our first time on Twitter Spaces. We'll get this dialed in and figured out. But big-time week of college basketball as we start to turn the page to February, a month away from Selection Sunday. A lot of top 25 showdowns. Things are really starting to separate themselves from other teams. So stay tuned to ECB. We'll have all the coverage as we make our march here in two weeks for a historic episode 100 where Peyton will rejoin us for that historic one. So can't wait for that. But yeah, as the calendar turns to February, we are starting to get closer and closer to the month of March, which of course is always madness for a reason. But winding down episode 98 if you guys enjoy this, of course, leave a five-star review on the podcast that you, the podcast hosting sites that you're listening to it on. Give it a like, give it a share, let everybody else hear it. But until then, go join the Facebook group, facebook.com slash group slash everything college basketball. That's where we have running game threads. That's where we'll have all sorts of content. Check out the Twitter page, at ECB Podcast 10. A lot of great content coming from us as we get closer to the month of March. And as always, can't forget to shout out our other sponsor, J.R. Rowan Company at New View Painting. If you're in the state of Indiana, Ohio, Illinois, Kentucky, um, or Michigan, and you're needing some painting work done, residential, commercial, anything in between, hit up JRO on Facebook and New View Painting. But with that being said, wrapping up episode 98 of the podcast, I've been Josh Burton. For Phil, for Corey, I hope you guys enjoy it. And until next week, episode 99, you guys have a great rest of your week, and make sure you're checking out a lot of college hoops.